Welcome listeners to the latest Arcade Attack podcast. It's Adrian here and today I have a very special guest. I've got Mike Clark, a video game music legend. The Psygnosis Maestro has worked on so many great titles, so many great games. He just shares an amazing story about his whole career. And did you know that he worked on a PS3 reboot of the classic Amiga game Walker? And in a second before the interview, he's kindly shared with me unreleased and never heard before really music from that particular title so guys if you want to learn more about a new walker game that never saw the light of day learn about an amazing career well guys sit back and enjoy Okay, listeners, welcome back to the latest Arcade Attack podcast. I've got a great guest on today, Mike Clark. Thank you so much for joining me today. Hello, my pleasure. Right, we'll talk about your career very soon, but just before you sort of um, really sort of found your feet and so forth in the gaming career, what was your sort of earliest and most fondest memories playing games while growing up, if that's all right, Mike? Well, uh, I suppose the first port of call was going to the arcades. Um, oh, actually, no, before that, we had a Binatone TV master that was basically just Pong. <laughs> I came out in what, I think it was released about 1977, something like that. I thought I must have been about four or five when, when we got one. Uh, yeah. And I had a light, light gun as well. So I had Pong and I had this light gun thing where you have to shoot the dot. Um, and after that, we, we didn't really have much. We, did, we didn't get another console after that. But then uh, we used to have a fairground that came every year near to where I live, and so there'd be some arcades there. And specifically, I don't know why I remember, but I only ever remember playing Scramble, the one where you have the – it scrolls to the side and you drop the bombs and shoot the missiles as they come up. I know that game, and, yeah. yeah. And I, I was always a, a, attracted to video games, really. Um, and so I ended up getting a, a Commodore 64 for one Christmas m- many years later, uh, largely because my auntie had one and I'd played on hers. It was either going to be that or a Sword M5, which you probably never heard of. No, nope. it's a, ja- a Japanese thing because around that time there were loads of computers advertised everywhere, all different brands and, and makes and imports. And this was a what became an obscure Japanese one. It was, it was either that or Commodore 64. And I chose a Commodore 64 just because my auntie had one and she had some games. And it started from there really. And I didn't really do anything else apart from play games. I think that was it. it was just <laughs> games and more games and then some more games. Oh, but we'll get him one because he'll use it for school. No, who did that <laughs> ever happen to? Nobody. So, yeah, playing games, uh, getting the that month's Zap 64 was always a big deal for me. Mm. Um, obviously, music became a big part of that for me, uh, Commodore 64 music. 
And yeah. Zap even had a, a reader's chart for music. So it was a, quite a big deal at the time uh, because there was some very, very good, clever stuff being created. Um, and I suppose that that's the earliest stuff. Uh, I was always attracted to it. And uh, I once I, once I got stuck in that little sphere of games, I never left, really. I'm still here today doing stuff in the games industry. Uh, good on you. It happens that way. Mm. I have to ask because you've got you've worked in the game industry for many many years, obviously in in different areas, music, art, programming, uh, so much really, which right now is quite unheard of, isn't it? Doing all sort of all those different things. When you were growing up, was there a particular area out of those three you thought that's what I want to get involved in the most? Um, and how did those sort of skills sort of develop over time? And how did you get your first big break into into the industry? Well, uh, when you say I've done art. <laughs> 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 i i've i've contributed to, to some minor little graphical things here and there but i'm oh, certainly enough. not an artist certainly not an artist um but i could say i've got an art credit on a game or two here there for, for things like title screens and, and so on yeah. um just because there was no one else available to do it and i was there so <laughs> i just did it. that was a psychosis so um <clears throat> really I, I i didn't have any sense of what i wanted to do when i had the commodore 64 i wanted to program it but i couldn't because i didn't know how and i didn't really have any way to learn i did have one friend one friend who could do assembly and he started making games and that was amazing but he's he always seemed very cagey about trying to explain to people how to do it i think he liked the exclusivity of being (laughs) in this Uh group of friends where he was the only one who could do that sort of thing and and programming never clicked with me um and so I never really did anything with Commodore 64, a couple of little basic things here and there, you know, basic text adventure and stuff. Mm. But then later when I got the Amiga, uh, it was still the same sort of thing. I just transitioned into doing games. And I didn't just, I found the computers themselves interesting, obviously doing uh, whatever application stuff, everybody messed around with Deluxe Paint and anything that, that, that came about. But it wasn't until I got uh, the Ultimate Sound Tracker that that was really the defining moment. And that was at a computer club that I used to go to every Wednesday. And it was just a copy venue, basically. Much as the organizers hated it, that's that's what happened. It was just Amigas with X copy on the screen. <laughs> yeah. So everyone would just spread everything. And then um, when I got Soundtrack, I didn't even know what it was. I just loaded up. What, what What's this disc out of the 17 I got today? And uh, I, I battered on with it. And I, I, somehow I realized that it was a music program. Mm-hmm. and i mean if you try to use the ultimate soundtrack today it's it's so cryptic it's really difficult even to just, just to get sounds loaded into it um but nevertheless i persevered with it and i got it going and i started actually doing some very very rudimentary um I, I can't even call it music sticking notes in is probably a better description yeah and then that was mostly all i did that was it. I still played games and friends would come around to my house and we'd play on the Amiga and so on. But nevertheless, for most of my free time, I would come home from school. I'd go straight upstairs and I'd be on soundtrack and I'd be doing music. And that was it. So it's really from that point that I had the creative outlet because I couldn't program before. So I couldn't write my own music on the Commodore 64. Yeah. On the, on the Amiga, I'd, I'd played with the Aegis Sonics and, and Deluxe Music Construction Kit and some of the other ones. But it wasn't really until Soundtracker came along that that was... It, it just fit with the way I think, because I do prefer to think in numbers and in, in, in a programming way. And then the trackers just seemed perfect. And it was so instant. So that was it. That's all I did. I just I, I went from nothing and over the course of, oh, I don't know, a year and a half, basically taught myself how to write music using Soundtracker. 
and various incarnations thereof. Did you play like, any musical instruments at the time, or is it or, or no, really? not, no, not really. I, I, I got, I had grade one violin from when I was at primary school, <laughs> uh, and uh, I had a little Casio SK1 keyboard that I'd had for a year, and that was it. I didn't really play. Oh, fair enough. I taught anything. Oh, brilliant! And um, would have you have you ever used Soundtracker recently, or is that long in the past now? Well, uh, at uh, the Amiga Island event recently, I did a Pro Tracker workshop. Oh, lovely. Going back in time to fire at Pro Tracker was, as you might expect, a nightmare. <laughs> <laughs> it's just so difficult to use, and just getting samples in and everything, just the whole the whole framework surrounding it. It's so difficult to do. Just even getting sounds. How, how do you convert sounds into IFF format these days to load them in? Uh, it, it it was awkward. Yeah, there's a good program called uh, Pro Tracker 2 Clone. Yeah, which is a PC version, which is an exact copy of Pro Tracker 2.3D from the Amiga. And so I used that, and that made things so much easier. Otherwise, it was oh, going nice. to be using the emulator, and that was uh, it was just it was so difficult. It really was. Okay, I I remember doing some bits and pieces and preparing for it, and thinking, my God. This was my full-time job for years. How <laughs> how did I put up with working like this? But of course, at the time, there was nothing better. There was nothing more instant. There was mm. it was yeah. If it, you could buy a sampler, but it was two three thousand quid, or you could get your your three four hundred quid Amiga and, and do effectively the same thing with some limitations. So it was the best available at the time, and uh, that's why it was. It didn't seem like such a hardship. Now, of course, it's so much easier to to write music yeah. and access the sounds and everything. But when you oh. go back, it's it's a bit of a struggle. Oh, nice one, Mike. Um, how did you get your first big break then? Because obviously you were playing around with it at home, I assume. Uh, was it a demo scene or no? How it you was approached? same computer club. Oh, uh, oh, excellent. When I when I, when my music started to get reasonable, basically the, there was a there was a definite um, turning point. Uh, I got up to about number seventy or something. So I've done about seventy tracks. Wow. And there was a point probably when I got to about 55 or 60 when I started to play games and I started to think I can do better music than that. Mm. And that gave me confidence. And so I started to do some music compilation discs and I'd give those to people at the computer club. And because of that, one of the guys there knew somebody who had a company uh, in Birkenhead, not far from where I lived. And he phoned me up and said, do you want to do the music? for last ninja two on the amiga and so i said yeah obviously and that's what i did so i went there uh during half term i was still at school i'd just turned 16 and during half term i went to their office and i did last ninja two for for that week uh, while i was off school that's a pretty good (laughs) pretty good week off then isn't it i suppose (laughs) it must be quite fun the the best part was getting paid for it because i'd never been paid for anything before i never had any money because i was 16 the only the only job I'd really done was uh, well a, a paper out for a few weeks years yeah. before and, and the <laughs> potato picking that I did once and never again because it was just the, the hardest manual labour uh, and what, I got paid uh, forty quid a tune I think and oh, nice one obviously that's that's nothing compared to what somebody who would have been established would have been, would have been charging but nevertheless for me. And I was doing seven tunes, and there was—I just remember the moment when he went into the cupboard and he, he fished out a stack of twenties and was just counting them out. <laughs> and I'm thinking, oh my god, I—I I, I want to do this forever. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Last Ninja Two is—it's not the worst game to start your career on, is it? It's a, it's a very good game. What, what do you think of it personally? 
Oh, it's amazing. I mean, yeah. Last Ninja obviously was groundbreaking on the Commodore 64. For, for the Amiga one, um, I mean, def- effectively, I was, I was totally out of my depth at the time. I mean, this was a, it was a big name title to, yeah. to jump in with. Um, and my, my plan was just to try and copy the, the Commodore 64 one as closely as good. Mm. But the program that I would have needed to do that was called Future Composer. And the programmer had problems getting the play routine to run. So I scrapped that and then did it in uh, using Noise Tracker at the time I was. And so I sat there with the tape recorder, just which got the Commodore 64 tunes recorded on it. Just play, stop, put some notes in, play, stop, <laughs> some notes in. Do you think that's, that's, do you think looking back you could have done a better job like a few years later or is it I mean they did give you a lot of uh, sort of <laughs> a lot of sort of responsibility didn't they at such a young age? They did. Um, the, the problem was I don't think they were paid particularly well by System Three and they didn't get any anything extra for doing a, an enhanced Amiga version. So the the Amiga version was the ST version. Yeah. So it's a straight port and I only had uh, 40k for the music each of the tracks so there wasn't a lot to work in in that and that was 40k for the music and the sound effects as well oh really so i had to cut it down a lot a lot they had to be really really tiny oh, fair enough and so and under those constraints obviously you can always look back on stuff and say yeah it could have done something better but uh i i think it came out pretty well considering that i didn't have any access to any sounds yeah. didn't have a synthesizer didn't have a sampler <laughs> no, fair enough. no definitely <laughs> even, I mean, even for the sound effects for the sound effects for it i had to go to my drama teacher i didn't take drama at school but i went to see the drama teacher at school and said have you got any any tapes that i've got sound effects on and <laughs> oh, he, really? he thought, yeah 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 and that's how i got those a uh, few little punch hits and impacts and stuff from from that um but yeah if, if i look back yeah you can always improve on stuff but at the time uh the, i don't really think i could have done anything more no, than no. That's incredible. No, Matt, huge, uh, might some huge credit there. Did you ever meet Matt Gray out of interest? Have you met, met him later on? Or? I have, yeah. I met him at the, uh, the Commodore 64 Symphony, the 8 bit symphony up in Hull uh, a few months ago. Oh, lovely. It was the first time we met. And uh, stupid me, didn't even get a picture with him. <laughs> Obviously, that's the perfect Facebook picture, isn't it? The, 100%. <laughs> the, the original and the cheap knockoff. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, don't be silly, Mike. Um, I have to, I have to ask him. Was that was that literally the door open for you then? Loads more opportunities came about after that, or was it finishing college still? And what what happens after that then? I did a couple more games for that company. Uh, I did uh, something called Little Puff, which is like a dizzy type game, Codemasters. Um, again, it was all done by this little company called Consult Software. Uh, yeah. There were some Disney games they were doing. I did music for that. Um, but after that. There was nothing really. I didn't know anybody else. I didn't have any contacts. I had no way of uh, of getting any other work. So I I went to college, and then one of my friends from the music club he got a job at Psygnosis, mm. and so because of him, uh, we we were doing some stuff together. He was he was starting to program and he was writing a, a dungeon master type game, and I was doing the audio for that for him. So he was looking out for me basically at Psygnosis when when new games came in. And that was how I got to do Bill's Tomato game. So when, when Bill Brilliant. got signed, that, uh, Chris uh, stood up and said, yeah, I've got someone who can do that. So I said, I did a demo for Bill and said, I'll have 350 quid. And he went, okay. And that's how I did that. Brilliant. I mean, yeah. Signo- yeah, sorry, Signos is what an iconic company. Was it amazing working for that company? It was, yeah. It was, it was unbelievable. 
it, it changed a lot. Uh, the, it's quite a long, complicated story of Cygnosis. <laughs> um, but right at the beginning, when I started, honestly, I, I couldn't wait for the weekend to be over so I could go back to work. That's oh, what really? it was. It, I turned up on the first day and I got my own desk and brand new Omega 600 and monitor and a telephone. <laughs> and <laughs> when I, was, I was 19. Um, I was a game evaluator. And th- my idea was that I'd, I'd, I'd get a job there as a tester or anything. It doesn't mm. matter. But I'll be there when games come in so I can go, I'll do the music for that. And that worked brilliantly, except for the fact that what I didn't realize when I formed this devious plan was that because I'm an employee, I'm not going to get paid any extra for it. Ah. Uh, <laughs> so so, <laughs> so i do music work and then charge the money because I actually work for the company. So it didn't quite work out that way at the beginning. But I started doing audio anyway. I did audio for a, a few bits and pieces there. Uh, I joined in September 92. Uh, and that whole first period lasted about a year or so, I think. So that was when I was doing... Yeah, bits of artwork and testing on all sorts of things doing bits of programming just just for myself really uh yeah. it was a bit later i did a sound effects driver for the amiga like a synthesizer thing for for some games um but in that, that early period when we were in one of the original buildings south harrington that yeah that was amazing the second day second day i turned up and the whole company went go-karting oh really that's how brilliant it was. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I've got you down here as a working for testing on, on lemons. Is that right? Probably. Yeah. I, everybody contributed in some way. I say I was a game evaluator, so I did testing on a load of stuff. But the difference between me and the testers is that I could go to the producer and say, I'm bored of this. You got anything else? <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> so the idea was that as a game evaluator, I would be evaluating new games that people had sent in. Or brought oh, okay in. yeah and again for me that wasn't really the p- point of being there the, the, the point of having that job was just so i could be in the office and as i say it worked out well because after about a year or so i got farmed off to the other office to basically start doing full-time audio then yeah i, I was going to ask you about that because it does seem a bit of a crossroads where you your career was a, a bit of this bit of that but obviously from like the mid mid 90s it seems you really went into the music like full-time properly was that always well that sounds like always the sort of goal is that fair then mike yeah oh absolutely yeah yeah 100 percent. that was what i always wanted to do so that was what i what i made sure that i was going to do <laughs> by default again that was the whole point of being in the office what's the point in hiring somebody when i'm right there and i'll do it i mean fair play i mean was there ever even a split second we thought actually i might try and enhance my programming skills or a different direction or was it always always music for you well, I'd always wanted to be a better programmer, and yeah. I, that hap- well, it happened pretty early on actually. When I was doing um, a game called Operation G2, mm. and they, uh, I was doing the sound effects for them. The game never came out. I was doing sound effects on the music, so I, I did some music tracks, and they asked for changes and so on. And then they gave me a list of sound effects, so I did the sound effects and sent those over. And they said, "So, how do we play them?" <laughs> and because I was <laughs> 19 and far too proud to say i don't know i i, I said uh, leave it with me and so i went away then and basically learned how to program very quickly uh, so I, I i used to sit there on the train every morning with a little exercise book and my little 68,000 opcode book thing and and try and work out how to play these sound effects and i, I specifically remember that there was a, a a moment probably after only a few days 
and it was it was properly like a, a light bulb switching on and after that moment it was just a case of it's dead easy that's it that's all it was there was some sort of barrier with the the, the logic behind how it all fit together that it just eluded me and it, and it just got to that point where i went oh oh that's what it's all about and then it was fine then and then i, I carried on designing this thing it was very complicated compared to what normal sound effects players would be because i thought everybody did this complicated version and not just did this rudimentary play the next sample thing so i had like a priority system and would choose based on volumes of the sounds and stuff oh nice uh so yeah i sent that over to them and then they put that in the game and then the game got canned right <laughs> <laughs> um i was going to ask you actually you know any games you worked on that were cancelled was that a particular game that you think actually could have been quite successful or or not really it's hard to tell really yeah it was why you can you can play the demo a demo was released on amiga format and uh it was like an adventure where like a sort of dungeon master thing on a space station i think it was uh and it looked like it might have been interesting i, I don't really know the specific reasons why why mm. it got killed but uh but it never never saw the light of day so I, I don't really know what type of game it could have become it it seemed like it was going to be all right but I, I couldn't say if it was going to be a big success or not obviously somebody thought it wasn't going to be so uh it got stopped oh, there, were, there were a bunch of others i mean the the, the they happened all the time. There was always games which just oh that's that's gone right. That one's that one's dead. Oh forget about that one. Uh, ask ask questions about something that you saw three months ago. Oh no, we 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 took that <laughs> on. That got killed. That must lot- be quite sad. Yeah. Yeah, but they could go either way. There's always going to be another game which is going to be just as good or better as mm. as the ones that could have been. That's always the case. Well, one game that was sadly cancelled, and I I never heard of before, was the uh, the Walker sort of reboot for the PlayStation Three. Um, and I, I I find, as you know, my I find Walker. The, I I love the original, the Amiga. You've got quite an interesting um, history with that that sort of particular game, haven't you? Because uh, is it correct uh, that you worked on the original Walker game for DMA Design, or at least tested it? Is that is that fair, Mike? Um, I don't, I don't know what. What I did, I mean, I would have tested it because everything that came through, if I was just sitting in the office and I wanted to have a go, then I'd have a go and then write some bugs down if I found them. <laughs> uh, but I remember when DMA came down one time with one of the versions of it. This was uh, probably a few months before it had finished. And the the, the two things, obviously, the, the game was amazing. Mm. But uh, I remember the, the spinning dots thing they had on the loading screen. That was very impressive at the time. It was like a 3D loading thing that they had and uh what you've mentioned before in your podcast is the uh alternative levels that yes which is uh, which were very very impressive I was, I was impressed with them so this is it just this one day when when some of the guys from dma came down with the latest version and so i had to play with that for a while so what happened with that level was you, you'd reach the end of the level and we're in the game as it was released, that would that stops basically end of level, go to the next level. Instead, in the original version, the little guy would get out of the walker and enter one of the buildings. Yeah. And then you would see it was like a platform game. And it was a black background, as far as I remember, with um, oh, mostly rectangular platforms. And the key impressive point was that you could zoom the camera in and out. I had never seen that before. Oh, wow. That was a real wow moment when yeah, you, you press the, the key and the camera comes right out and you can see the whole of the level and you zoom back in again. You got a little guy running around. As far as I remember, it was picking up keys and opening doors and mm. uh, standard sort of platformy puzzle affair. 
Um, I, I didn't really hear anything of it after that. I just remember that a couple of months later we had another version which didn't have that in, which mm. left me a little bit disappointed. Nevertheless, it was still a still a brilliant game, even even with that omission. Oh, that's, it does sound quite interesting. I mean, we, as you know, I managed to talk to uh, or at least text interviews with two of the people that worked on Walker, but they didn't quite go into much detail about the, those quite infamous platformer levels. So, might really appreciate that. It does, it does sound that's, a shame it wasn't finished. It's a long time ago. I mean, that, that was <laughs> 1993, I think. Yeah. Um, so, we're, we're 27 years or so, 26, 27 years ago. Uh, so, it's I, I, I have a lot of these memories of of stuff that I did and and things that I saw and, and there, there are certain key things that, that stick in my head and Walker was certainly one of them, not least because when it came out, that 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 thing that I was impressed with never saw the light of day. So uh, that always stuck in my memory, yeah. So. No, no, I really appreciate it. I know a lot of our listeners find that really interesting. Just quickly, on the Walker reboot, which honestly yeah. I, I never knew about, but and you very kindly uh, sent me a, a clip of the music. It was absolutely incredible, by the way. Um, this reboot, it was touted for the PlayStation 3. Is that right? It was, yeah, yeah. You, the reason that you never heard of it is because nobody knows about it. <laughs> <laughs> it's, a, it's a bit hush hush. <laughs> well, obviously, because after I'd moved to London, I, I came back up to Liverpool and I was running the company with one of my friends. Because um, he'd started the company, I came back to do some work on a, a project, and I ended up staying for the next ten years. Um, and we both worked at Ignosis, and so we both know people who were still at Liverpool at the time and so we started looking at old Cygnosis titles that we could remake and the best one we came up with was Walker mm. it, it seemed right to do a new version of Walker because it's such a good game that's not really talked about enough and it I thought we thought at the time it definitely lends itself to having a really new modern take on it so that's what we did and we pitched to Sony and Sony paid us to do a uh, to do a proper pitch basically to create uh the um prototype video and do some extra design work and so on uh so that's what we did and it took it took months and months um sony were quite funny at the time we'd taken on titles uh it wasn't really until a bit later on when um shaheed ahmed became involved in signing up indie developers that things changed but when we started, uh, it was very hard as an independent to release a game on one of the console platforms. Uh, as an example of how difficult it was, Microsoft at the time wouldn't let you release a game unless you had had three released titles in the shops. Oh, really? So that forced independent developers to have to go through one of the established publishers. So already you're starting to lose control of, of, of what you want to do there. So that was the general state of the industry at the time. Nobody ever kept their IP. You'd get signed up, you get paid to make a game. Whoever paid the money would keep all of the IP, and then you'd finish the project and go and find another project to do. So we went to Sony. Sony went through this whole long process of, of um, trying to get it greenlit. And it eventually happened, and we started work on it i started doing all the project planning and everything and then three days later they killed it no <laughs> so yeah it was it, we, we did the prototype video and some design work and then three days of actual production <laughs> development and then that was it oh. the game itself was from a, a behind the walker view i'll tell you one i think was really difficult was designing a new walker yeah now our artist at the time he, he was he was brilliant and 
uh, he spent so long coming up with so many different things. And I remember sitting at his computer thinking, what can we do with this? Okay, how about try it a bit more angular so it looks a bit more chunky? And I had this idea that I wanted it to be able to crouch into this shield position so that Good. you have a mode where you've got like a – it's almost like a sort of invulnerability mode where it crouches down and it's the, the, the top body half almost completely encases itself. Uh, so he was trying to incorporate that in. And it was so difficult because everything that he came up with was just Ed 209. <laughs> yeah, that's what we were saying in the podcast. You can't escape it, unfortunately. <laughs> it's really difficult to get away from it. It really was. But I think at the end, we, we came up with a really good design uh, that, that ticked all the boxes. It didn't look like Ed 209, mm. uh, particularly, um, again, because we made it angular rather than round and bulbous. Um, and it... it 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 worked for the the sort of storyline and, and stuff that I'd, I'd come up with, um, so it it, it would have been good. So yeah, it was behind the behind the walker, uh, like a high elevation camera following it through compounds and stuff, being attacked uh, from directions of helicopters and uh, soldiers and jeeps and things like that. It does sound like a really yeah really good homage to the original game. It, it sounds like it's keeping the the the, the essence. Um, I mean, what was the story behind the game? The actual story for the game it, on the <laughs> the original Walker's got such a convoluted story. It's quite interesting, but it's quite it's quite deep, really, for for quite a relatively simple game in a way. What, yeah. what how are you going to take that game forward in a sense? Well, um, didn't really pay attention to anything about what the, what the story was originally. Um, it was just a case of trying to think of a way that we could make even the existence of the Walker plausible. Uh, so there are two there were two things about it. Why does this walker exist, and why is it going around destroying everything? <laughs> and so, on that basis, I came up with this idea of um, dystopic, typical dystopic science fiction future with um, conglomerates that have private armies and are effectively at war with each other all the time. And the idea was that um, one of the conglomerates had this big R&D research uh, plant that got destroyed by one of the others. And one of the guys whose wife worked at that lab got killed and he turns up trying to find her after he's heard that there's been this big explosion. Obviously finds her all, all sad and upset and everything, gets in a bit of a rage. As he's walking out, he, he goes through a door where he comes across this now largely destroyed hangar yeah. where it finds the walker all all wired up with all tubes and stuff stuck in it because uh, clearly it's a prototype mm. uh i can't remember how but somehow he finds a way to get in it switches it on uh realizes that it's quite powerful and destructive and vows vows vengeance and uh <laughs> uses it to make his way over to the any of the other corporate installations to lay waste to the entire lot of them and that was the idea why, because they got private armies, they're sending helicopters and everything like that. And you, know, you just batter everybody. That was the idea. Oh, love it. Uh, it's such a shame, Mike, that it never got released. Um, I, I'm still shocked it was never discussed. I mean, did you purposely keep it very quiet or was it, was it Sony that kept it quiet? Or I mean, I really appreciate you telling us now on this podcast. I feel quite honoured, actually. Thank you. But it's Sony, really. Uh, Sony, it's Sony's IP. Um obviously having bought Cygnosis, they own all of the Cygnosis titles. So it effectively was really nothing to do with us. Once it got killed, um, 
it was out of our hands. Uh, Sony had, had paid us to do all the prototype stuff, so that was all owned by Sony. So everything that we'd done is basically owned by Sony. So if they if they wanted to make a deal out of it or or mention mention it to a magazine, then that's up to them. Up to yeah. them. But we couldn't really because it's not really our place to do so. So um, we we yeah. it's it's difficult being in that situation because you couldn't really we couldn't have talked about that to anybody without it sounding like there's some bitterness against Sony because they killed the game that we really wanted to do. So it wouldn't really yeah. make sense for us to, to say, Oh, we were doing Walker and it would have been amazing. And Sony killed it. <laughs> it, it doesn't really make sense to do that. But of course it's, it's been a long time. I mean, that was about, uh, it was about 2006, 2006. Yeah. Like oh. It's been at least 10 years now. I wish so. it. Oh, I wish it came out. <laughs> as as a fan of the city, you know, as the game. Uh, obviously, Walker Two was cancelled. It's got quite a sad kind of history. This game now it sounds the whole sort of yeah. series. I mean, and, it, and it's yeah. strange because it, it it is so good and it was really quite unique as well. There's not really anything else like it. it certainly wasn't at the time. No, uh, there's, there's mech games, but Walker's a bit different, I think, than the, t- the traditional mech game. I think. Well, even just the control method, where you're just yeah. walking along and having the mouse with the with the crosshairs. That's that's. I can't really think of much else where you do that. Would your um, would your game be similar to that with the old crosshair as well, or do you, is that how it worked for your game? Uh, well, it's it would have been PS3 controller, mm, so really have a mouse option. So elevation for guns left and right with a, a, <laughs> a some sense of auto targeting, because otherwise it would have been far too difficult. Of course, I mean. I, I think it's almost a waste of me t- my time asking this, but do you think there's any chance we're, we're going to see this game or even a new Walker game in, in the near future? That is unbelievably unlikely. <laughs> <laughs> no, Mike, no. <laughs> it, it, it would take somebody going to Sony and doing a, a, a very good pitch to them, yeah. like uh, the guys that did the remake of Shadow of the Beast, like they did. It would it would take something on the scale of that to, to convince them to uh, make another game out of that. Yeah, and it's difficult to know. As time goes on, each of these properties gets less and less valuable as less and less people know what they are, or even even just the potential people who would have bought them back then uh, don't really play games anymore, so wouldn't be interested in new versions of them. So it's 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 difficult. It's it's very hard to see uh, a case where any of them outside of stuff like Lemmings is is going to get remade. Or rebooted. Hundred yeah. percent. Um just really quick on Signosis again. What what an amazing company it was. Um I mean, how do you personally reflect back at your time there? And do you have a particular favourite game that you worked on while working at Signosis? Uh let's see now. Well, it, it started out amazing, then it went awful, uh, and then it got better again. <laughs> <laughs> the whole transition period after the Amiga was just awful. Um, because the, the the technology was dreadful, uh, everybody could see where they wanted to be, but the technology took years to catch up to what people wanted to do. Basically, as soon as CDs came became available, artists went to town, and then the artists were were, were thinking, well, these are the games we want to do. We don't want these to be just videos. <laughs> we want these to be actual games. But yeah. that was years off at the time, and all the all we had was the Mega CD. Uh, that that was about it. Uh, PC CD-ROM, and it was it was dreadful. It was very very difficult to 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 make anything good out of those. And we'd got bought by Sony, and getting all these film licenses pushed on us, which is why we get Last Action Hero and Cliffhanger and 
rubbish yeah. like that. Uh, but yeah, it, early days, amazing. Uh, became a bit taxing. Then once uh, we had all the PlayStation stuff, things got really exciting again. And uh, we ended up doing a good, good job with Wipeout. Oh, <laughs> so I want to talk about... I definitely want to talk about Wipeout in a second. What a great game. Yeah, it does sound... you. Yeah, I mean... Sony, I mean, I, I've spoken to people before, uh, like Bullfrog, when EA came in and taken over the company, it kind of lost its way a little bit. Uh, it, hey, fair enough, the, the the company bounced back, but it must be some... <laughs> do, you, do you not look back very fondly of those times then, working on certain games like Last Action Hero then? Is that fair to say? It depends, really. Because uh, I like I like what I, what I did. Uh, mm. The problem was the, the the context in which I was doing it. So when I did Last Action Hero, I was doing like six other games at the same time because there was just so much to do. It was it was absolutely ridiculous, and we had we were still doing um, before we got the mandate to stop doing console stuff. There was going to be a, like a SNES Bills to Marta game and a SNES Wiz and Liz, and some of the other uh, Mega Drive stuff were going to get converted to the SNES, and we were still doing some of the Mega Drive games, and there was loads loads of stuff. And then I had to start doing CD audio for for playstation stuff that was coming up for crazy ivan and yeah kind of else we were doing um and so it was just i i liked what i was doing but the context within i was what i was doing it was it was it, it burnt me out basically it was it was just too much it was too heavy so if, if i look at last action hero as an example that is something that i'm really quite pleased with because you don't get much guitar stuff on the amiga and i i put a lot of effort into that I even I even paid my mate with his guitar out of my own money to record his guitar. <laughs> get oh, did guitar. you? That's how stingy Signosis was. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> What's your? Oh, sorry. We had to have all of our own music gear in in the office because they wouldn't buy us any. That's I mean, that's just, incredible. I know. <laughs> and is... then it all got stolen. Oh, did it? Seriously? It, we had a break in in the office and everything disappeared. And it everything. It, it was your personal property. Yeah, myself and Tim Wright had all of our all of our gear stolen. I had a, I had a Corgo one, a big keyboard. I had a, a Roland SH one hundred and one. Um, I think my Casio SH one hundred and one as well. Uh, then I was effects unit, I think, or something else. I, luckily, uh, both myself and Tim used to take our Amigas home every day. So I mean, that's that was yeah. the escape of all because that had all of the work we'd ever done. So thankful. Wow. So your all your hard work for many years could have been stolen. Is that fair? Well, wow, that's quite Yep. Yep. That's unbelievable. Files have been no reference to it whatsoever. It just would have been gone completely. Blimey, that's that's incredible. <laughs> so um, that's that's an example of, of the time of that time period during that transition. It was it was a difficult time. Uh, and as I say, it did get better towards the end. With regards to favourite games. It's hard to say. I, I like I like all the the games that I've worked on for different reasons. Um, some of the games that I that, that I, I like are some of the unsung ones, like Cytron. I mean, most people don't even know what that I've, is. I haven't like, heard of Cytron, no. Exactly. You know, I tested that quite a lot because uh, that was one of the early ones, and uh, it's quite it's good. This little top down puzzler thing where you have this uh, like machine that you can split into two and you do different tasks with each one. It's quite good. Um, what are the other good things? Um, Oh god, we did so many. There were so many games that came through us around that Le- time. Lemons Two. I've got to talk about that for a second. I mean, that oh, was yeah. a great game, and, and the music was great as well. How about what was your memories of that particular one? Uh, let's see. It was quite a big deal when we got Lemmings Two 
the 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 first versions of it um I remember being su- just surprised by how many different functions that they had at the time. <laughs> now, when, when we got that, um, again, because that's DMA, that it was lo- mostly done totally independently by them. Yeah. So Synopsis would do things like, uh, well, for example, the original Lemmings, when Tim did the music, that was through Signosis. Uh The title screens and animations, intros was all done in, in Signosis. Um Lemmings 2 was a little bit more self-contained. I don't think we did any anything in, in the office for that. Mm. Uh, that was all completely up in Dundee. Uh, the only thing that we did was when I did I did the Super Nintendo version, did the music on that. Oh, right, understood, yeah. And that, that was just a, a straight conversion from the Amiga. Mostly, I just took Brian's modules and then converted them into the play routine that I had. Yeah. And then wrote some... Some I replaced a few of them that I thought with something I thought would be a bit more appropriate, and then I had to do a couple of new tracks on that as well. Um, that's it, really. That well, I, I drew the title screens on Lemmings on the Atari Lynx. That's <laughs> <laughs> apparently I've got testing credits. Um, I was going to do some Lemming uh, levels for it one time. Oh, really? When the DMA guys had come down, they brought the Lemmings editor with them, which was written in Amos on the Amiga. Uh, because we'd released Lemmings and then Oh, more, oh No More Lemmings and then Christmas Lemmings. And I th- there was talk about doing another sequel levels pack. And I don't think that happened in the end. So ended up not, not, not doing it. Um, another little bit of information about Lemmings. Uh, it had hell levels. And because of the hell levels, and explicitly one in which it says 666 in the background, we got a letter from somebody in the deep south of America proclaiming that our games are horrendous and we're all terrible and we're all going to burn in hell oh, because what? we're <laughs> Satan. <laughs> is, that, is that actually a true story? Yeah, she got a letter. Oh, I bet. <laughs> yeah, That's we did, yeah. framed somewhere, isn't it? That's incredible. <laughs> Crazy. That is mad. Um, I mean, Wipeout. Let's talk about Wipeout for a minute. Did you... Obviously, I correct me if I'm wrong, but that sort of game, that, that particular title, I think rejuvenate the company a bit it really put signosis back on the map after a you know a few sort of tough years were you involved in that particular game and and the music is a good chunk of why that game was so popular would you would you agree mike it was yeah yeah it it, it, it was the zeitgeist of the time and the, there's a good reason for that it's because uh the artists and nick the designer were just proper proper club rats they really were every every saturday night off they go to cream in liverpool with lots of banging tunes and they wanted that feeling in the game. So it was very much pushed with their vision. That's what they wanted. So that's how we ended up getting chemical brothers and, and yes. all the field because they, they really, really pushed for it. And it was a, it was a quite a big deal at the time. Nobody had really done licensed music like that before. And to be honest, I don't think the record companies really had a clue what, what they were being asked. Uh, however, uh, it was meant to be all completely licensed music. And that all fell through. And then uh, somebody from marketing came and said, uh, what was I working on at the time? I can't remember. I was working I was working on something. And Tim had been doing Wipeout. He'd yep. been doing sound effects for it. And he became very protective of it when it was obvious how, how good the game was. Oh, yes. <laughs> so somebody from marketing came down and said, uh, we haven't got the licenses for the other tracks. You're going to have to do them. Okay, how long have we got? Two weeks. <laughs> so Tim had to do what 10 tracks i think in two weeks and he killed himself doing it really and obviously i offered i'll do some of them no 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 i'm doing them all <laughs> yeah i mean did you want you want to get involved i assume is that right oh yeah yeah I mean, my involvement was just sniffing around the edges really that's all <laughs> it, it was interesting though how it came about it was it was awful and 
development was going slow. It was it was, it was problematic for both the games that were in development, which was Wipeout and Crazy Ivan uh, in Liverpool. And um, another thing that people don't don't know about is that it came there came a point where everything was so bad that the development teams for Wipeout and for Crazy Ivan got called into a room by Ian Hetherington, the managing director, and just basically shouted at for half an hour. Really? And he shouted at us about how bad this are and how 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 much is riding on these games doing well and it's you know the whole you're all out of a job if these don't work. <laughs> wow. And uh, it worked because uh, things got shuffled around. Uh, some of the programmers got taken off what they were doing and other programmers uh, put on different jobs to try and sort of take over and get things into shape again. And it made a massive difference. It really did. Huge yeah. difference. Uh, everything just started to go so much better after that point everyone really got got focused and and you know got on with it and then it was obvious that wipeout was going to be good because everybody started to play it at lunchtime mm. so that the developers there in in our office obviously they're working on it in the day but as soon as lunchtime comes up go on stick wipeout on and honestly on, on on a couple of days there was a queue of people waiting to play play the game that that's that's what it was like and it was obvious it's going to be successful when when you see things like that happen I mean, it, yeah, I mean, it, it, it was one of PlayStation's uh, biggest games, wasn't it? It was huge. Uh, what a yeah. great title. Uh, did you work in any of the future Wipeout titles at all? Is it, again, quite things on the, on the side, really? I, I did Sound of X on Wipeout 3. Yeah. I did uh, the Sound Effects and the audio mastering on Wipeout 64. Uh for Wipeout 2097, again, it's just sniffing around the edges. Just, why don't you do this? <laughs> How about that? <laughs> <laughs> uh, that was it, really. Again, it, it was Tim's thing. Tim was uh, yeah. Tim, quite protective of it. He wanted to do all of that himself, and rightly so. I would have been exactly the same. Not fair enough. Right. Yeah. Um, why did you, when, when did you leave uh, Psygnosis, uh, Mike, if you don't mind me asking? 1999. And can I ask any reason why? Or did you, you went against your own things, or do you move away from the game for a while, or what happened? Because they wanted me to leave. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I don't mean. To... <laughs> That's, that um, sounds a bit really. It's it's really hard to to describe what 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 it was like. Um, after things got good again, when we were doing Wipeout, things started to get a bit. Um, it, it all got a bit bit of a mess again, and. What what seemed to happen was we, we had these sort of a bunch of middle managers came in and games it was all confusing what what games are we working on is that actually going to release then we had a whole bunch of games canned and the whole direction was was all over the place and at some point Sony Japan just came in and said right get rid of two hundred people wow. and then six months later they came in and said get rid of another two hundred people <laughs> and I was in that second batch of people who got who got pushed out yeah i mean i've spoken to quite a few people where, where that's happened and it's it must have been uh must have been quite a sad time is that fair mike because you know you've, you've obviously built up a big reputation at that company worked some huge games it doesn't it, seem it, particularly right well they're only they were, see tim had already left at that point so there was me and and another guy mike de who i'd hired uh and 
I was the more expensive one, so, <laughs> so I'm the one who went. <laughs> Where did you? Yes, yeah, I mean, it was. It was. I, I couldn't believe it. Not least because when they told everybody that they were being made redundant, I'd come in late, so I, I'd missed that meeting. <laughs> <laughs> oh, really? Just in my studio, just just doing doing the stuff, and then one of the guys came in looking like, oh God, looking like absolute death, because obviously really? he just told all these people he'd been made redundant. Yeah, and he, he's like, yeah, can I have a word. I didn't know what to do after that. It was it was it was shocking. It really was. I mean, I'd worked there for what seven years at that point, so out of college, straight to Cygnosis, and I, I just didn't know what to do. But nevertheless, yeah. things things move on. Where did you move afterwards? Can I, can I ask what, what what games and companies do you work on straight after that sort of uh, decision? Or yeah, went freelance for about a year and a half. Yeah, and um, I just did bits and pieces for other people. Um, I was actually working on Wipeout Fusion, and that turned into a nightmare. Uh, I won't go into that, uh, but I did some other bits of freelance work for other companies here and there, and then it, I ended up uh, getting a job doing audio programming, and that's when I moved down to London. Oh, okay. uh, so that's when I really stepped up the programming game, essentially. So uh, I I worked for a company for about a year or so, and then I moved to doing audio middleware for games and work for a company called Sensora doing 3D audio. Yep. And uh, we got bought by Creative, and Creative was a bit of a, I don't know how to describe Creative. It wasn't very exciting, let's put it that way. So <laughs> the, I, the opposite I just, of their name. <laughs> well, yeah. Uh, I ended up leaving, and uh, again, I just was freelance for a year and a half or so again. And then I moved back up here to start doing projects with one of my friends from Cygnosis, who'd started a game company. Ah. That's where I stayed for the next 10 years i think something like that oh brilliant are you still working can i ask what games you're working on at the moment or is it all quite hush hush uh, well right now i'm doing how can i just... i can't tell you what it is it's a big triple a game and it's audio technology that's, that's <laughs> all i can say really yeah, <laughs> that's so fair I'm, enough i'm not doing music and stuff i'm doing some low level audio engine type things at the moment yeah. I mean, uh, do you still create music today then, Mike? Have you sort of moved away from that area? Oh, no, no. I'm always a musician. Good. Uh, Good. I, whatever I do is secondary to me being a musician. So the fact that I can program, I'm a musician who happens to be able to program. Yeah. Anything else I do, I'm a musician who happens to be able to do that other stuff as well. So, I mean, for, for our company, obviously I did all of the audio there. Um mostly because I didn't want anyone else to do it, because that's my outlet. <laughs> if yeah, music, I'm doing it, damn it. Uh, and <laughs> anything that comes along, I'll, I'll do music for. I don't I don't go out and pursue it. I don't look for it at the moment. Um, but, yeah, if somebody asks, I'm generally available to do stuff, so I will. I, I do other production work and, and things here and there as well, outside of games, because uh, I've been doing it for quite a long time now. Of course, yeah, of course. Um, I have to ask, actually, how much... Um... Apart, oh, apart from your own music, your own work you've done in, 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 over your long career, has there been one game soundtrack where you thought, wow, this is incredible, where you're completely blown away? Any other composers? Mm. It's, a, it's, a, it's a difficult question to answer that because, strictly speaking, if the music has been done well, you shouldn't even know it exists. I understand what you're saying, yeah. yeah. So... You could, I could point you to various things where you listen to it and you think, well, this was, so what? <laughs> but in context of the game, 
it's very impressively done because it fits absolutely perfectly. However, one game that I will flag up is Mirror's Edge, which I think not just music, but the whole everything to do with audio in that game is amazing. Amazing. The whole atmosphere, the sound effects, it's just it's just brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. What what a work of art it, it is. I haven't played it. I, I'm tempted now. <laughs> Give oh, it a go. I remember even, even just the start, um, when it starts up and you just get that little intro, it's it's just it's clear that this is something else. The, the presentations are uh, amazing and it sounds like nothing else and it plays like nothing else. Yeah, it's one of my favorite games. Oh, really? So that, yeah, that It's one of the things that it very rarely happens and you, you, you just, it hits you instantly. And that, 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 that was one thing that got me. So yeah, I'd have to say Mirror's Edge is... Mirror's Edge, okay, favorite. not. Mike, I'll check that one out, definitely. What, what other games, uh, what, what would you class for your top three games of all time? I don't think that's on my list, but it's a really tough question. <laughs> I put you on the spot a bit. All right. Well, Mirror's Edge. Yep. <laughs> um, a Fallout. Yep. <laughs> yep. They're, they're all very good. I, I, I don't go in for this. Oh, New Vegas is the best. No, no. I, 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 I love all of them equally. They're amazing. Um, and the, and the first one and two as well. They're excellent. And let's see what's another. Um, Carmageddon. Oh yeah, good yeah, choice. Bit, bit left field, but that's a good game. Uh, the, the original Carmageddon, oh, I played it to death, and and the Splat Pack as well. So it was I very was original, very, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, I was very impressed with the remake because it, it feels exactly the same as the old one did. So that that was that was very pleasing. I contributed the Kickstarter of that, but that's one of my all-time favourites. Yeah, definitely. Oh, good, good choices. Um, what would you say to anyone that's looking to get into sort of the music end of the industry right now? Any advice you could give anyone? Run away! <laughs> um, the only advice I can give is the same advice you will get everywhere. Be productive. Go meet people. <laughs> That's it. That's yep. what it's all about. And there's two reasons for that. One, if you're completely unsolicited and nobody has a clue who you are, you have to have a demo that is so amazing that you have to blow away everything they've ever heard before in their life. Yeah. If it's not that good, you have to provide something in the demo that is exactly what they're looking for at that exact moment in time. And that's very unlikely to happen. So you still have to be productive because when you do go and meet people, you have to have this backup available to be able to demonstrate. Yeah. So what generally happens is you don't get you don't the jobs don't just magically appear out of nowhere you have to go and find them you have to make the opportunities yourself and that's why everybody says to go and do networking and go to conferences and stuff just meet people you'll you, you'll find somebody who you met six months ago who you they've got a business card that they thought they'd thrown away but it just so happens that they saw that business card at exactly the right moment when they need something that yeah. you appear to be providing and so they may very well get in touch and say yeah, I'm stuck. Can you help out? So that's what it is. You've got to meet people because yeah. if you've if you've bought a drink for somebody at some event and you're trying to pitch music to them, they know that you've already bought them a drink, so you're cool. Yeah, I get but that. Yeah. The, the other the other twenty people who haven't <laughs> are automatically <laughs> in the subservient position. You're 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 dominant in that position. So 
doing that. I'll tell you what, one thing I, because I was an account manager for a while and taking people to lunch is, <laughs> oh, that opens doors. It really does. If you can afford <laughs> to go and take somebody to lunch, do that because uh, everybody likes a free lunch. Of course. I've seen various techniques. There's one guy I know, he used to take, he's from Ukraine and he used to bring these bottles of chili vodka with him at all the events. And everybody would remember him because he was the chili vodka guy. <laughs> so everywhere he went, I mean, he's, he's doing very well now with, with his own company and so on. But that, that was the thing. You, you would never forget him because yeah. he's the only guy who brings the chili vodka. So it, there's always ways and means to, to be remembered and, and be noticed. But fundamentally, make some music so that you've got good examples to show and then go and meet the people to show it to. <laughs> Oh don't, my! Don't send emails. Don't bother phoning. Yeah, face to face makes all the difference. Yeah. That's brilliant. No, Mike, this that's good advice. Um, I mean, it's again pretty tough question, but how how would you reflect on your career? Because you've you've been in this game for thirty odd years or so. I mean, it's it's you've had some amazing highs and so forth. How do you look back on it all? It will be thirty years on the twenty second of February. Oh, really? <laughs> so in days i would have worked in the game industry for 30 years that's incredible isn't it it's 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 been quite the roller coaster yeah I've, I've done a bit of everything um and i'm very pleased about that yeah i've run a company i've done project management i've, done, I've been a salesperson basically doing account management i've done little bits of art done loads of music loads of programming i've i've done audio programming i've written games i've done graphics engines i've i've just done a whole load of everything and that's I, i'm very thankful to have been able to do all that yeah. because although i would love nothing better than to just do music all day and have a full-time job doing that again um there would always be part of me which would think uh, I, I i think i'd be good at that i'd like to go and try it but i'd never ever get the time but because i've been through it all now i i have it makes things open. I can, I can. There's more choices available for me. Yeah. One of the reasons that I, did, I went into audio programming is because there was just nothing around. There was no music work around at the time. It was when all the publishers were essentially getting rid of of in-house people and then starting to get um, contractors and stuff. And budgets were shrinking, and they were trying to squeeze uh, the squeeze the salaries and everything like that. And there was just nothing around, and so. I went into audio programming and I'm thankful that that happened, even though it was awful at the time, uh, just because I have this now breadth of, of diverse experiences. Yeah. And these skills. Yeah. Anybody who can get that, you know, it, it really does open, open things up for you. Uh, it's, it, it's definitely worth it. If you get the opportunity to do something that's a little different from what you think, I think that everybody should take that just to see, just to find out if it all ends in disaster, at least you'll know it was a disaster. <laughs> I've had a honestly, Mike, it's been such a great chat. I really appreciate your time today. I've got a couple of like sort of more sort of wacky, sort of silly questions to finish up, but I, you know, really do appreciate the, the lovely stories today, and you know, fair play to you. Um, right, first bit of a weird question: if you could step inside any of the games you've worked on and live there for one day, which game would you choose and why? Oh God, <laughs> anything I've worked on. Um... That's a bit of a list to go through. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Not last action here. I'm taking it. No, <laughs> last action here. God, that's a whole story in itself. Actually, there's a good website if you search for that. That's got the the story of that coming about and how Arnold Schwarzenegger was going through his "I want to be non-violent" phase. 
and we were trying to make a beat em up where the protagonist is not allowed to hit people first. <laughs> it was just oh, it was awful. Anyway, yeah, search for that. It's an interesting story. Um, let's see. God, I've done so many. It's hard to say because there's, there's not much which is based in the real world. <laughs> um, Wiz and Liz. No, I wouldn't like to live in Wiz and Liz. Um, even Wipeout would be a bit weird to, to, to world to live in. Uh, You've got uh, Eleven's games, obviously. <laughs> that, that sounds like the worst idea. Yeah, let's be <laughs> Lemming in the <laughs> yep. games. Uh, last for ten minutes and then explode. Lovely. Oh, yes. <laughs> uh, no, I, I, I'm sorry to, to be a bit rubbish on the answer, but I honestly can't think of anything that I'd, I'd, that I'd like to do. Let's face it, games are mostly killing stuff, so there's high chance <laughs> that you die in one of these environments. <laughs> I've got you here on Championship Soccer. Is that right, on the sound effects? No. Okay, that's a mistake on Moby Games then. Okay, fair enough. Uh, I did do sound effects on Sensible Soccer on the Mega CD. Oh, oh did you? Honestly, wow. I did. And that, as far as I'm aware, is the first real CD crowd recording on a sports game. I that went to... Uh, I went to Tramia Rovers to, to record the crowd for that. Had a photographer's pass, got onto the pitch and uh, recorded that. I missed the only goal in the match because it happened after about 10 seconds and I wasn't ready. Wow. That's that's amazing bit of trivia. Wow. Thank you. I mean, that's right. not that's not a bad place to be, be a football player, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> I suppose so. Yeah. Yeah. Brilliant. Um, right. Final question, Mike. So if you could go for a drink with any video game character, anyone outside of your games as well, of course, who would you choose and why? Where do these questions come from? <laughs> <laughs> the most popular choice I've asked many people is Lara Croft by a country mile. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah. I'm trying to. Well, she has a, a good, good possibility because she's loaded. And so she'll pay for all the drinks. Oh, yeah, she is rich. <laughs> <laughs> she would. <laughs> who, who picks up all the gold in the games? <laughs> Sonic, he's got a lot of gold rings. That's true. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, anyone will pay for it. That'll be good. Yeah, um, good answer. <laughs> <laughs> so, so yeah, we can go for Sonic if you want, then. <laughs> well, that'll depend on the film, won't it? Yeah, that's if, true. That is if very it turns true. out the stock's an arse, then no, that wouldn't be a good idea. <laughs> Mike, it's been a real pleasure. Uh, really appreciate your time today, so thank you so much. No, pleasure's all here. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. We really hope you enjoyed it. If you want to get in touch regarding this week's episode or anything else, you can tweet us at Arcade Attack UK, at Keith Barlow82, and at Arcade underscore Adriano. We're also on Facebook at facebook.com slash Arcade Attack UK. Please check out our website at arcadeattack.co.uk for lots of retro gaming goodness, interviews, reviews, features, top 10s, etc. And you can also find all our previous podcasts there. Our podcasts are available to stream from the website and are available to download for free from Stitcher, Podbean and iTunes, where you can also leave us a review and a rating, which we would really, really appreciate. So until next time, take care and we'll speak to you soon.